You know, the main aspect of being a success in your business is actually selling your service. Who would have thought? When it comes to videos, whether you're doing weddings, company profiles, corporate work, or ads, the fastest way to sell is to draw emotion from the viewer. It doesn't matter how good your shot or how epic the setting is. It'll be no match from the power of audio. The clear audio and music are the keys to telling and selling a story. For us and a lot of people in my industry, the best source for high quality music is none other than Musicbed. Musicbed has a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a Wedding Video Boss listener, you can get your first month of subscription free or 20% off of a single song purchase. Just enter the promo code no space wedding video boss when you check out. Now you could call yourself a savant, a master storyteller or whatever the heck you need to say to make yourself different. Remember, use the promo code wedding video boss or click on the link in the notes. Welcome to the Wedding Bossness podcast where we talk about the business side of being a wedding creative. Bossness is defined as proving your doubters wrong by doing everything right. It's not about revenge. It's just about doing the right thing as a business owner. That is what's lacking with business owners in the creative space. Everyone wants to create, but no one knows how to make money. So if you are serious about the bossness, welcome. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, you should consider subscribing because just like you, I am passionate about how to run my wedding business, and that's all I'm giving you with this podcast. I'm bringing you all of the wedding business specialists that you can think of, and all we talk about are the fundamentals of running a business, and of course, how to make money. You know, my favorite cartoon character is Mr. Krabs, because he always says, I like money. The master of sales, Alan Berg, is here, and we talked about a lot of sales strategies what you're probably doing wrong, and the fundamentals in selling the outcome. You're going to hear a lot of selling the outcome here. You do not want to miss this. With more than 25 years in sales, marketing, and sales management, Allen Berg has been called the leading international expert on the business of weddings and events. He's a certified speaking professional, the highest earned designation, conferred by the National Speakers Association and one of only 36 global speaking fellows worldwide. Alan is a featured presenter every year at major industry conferences in North America and internationally. He has extensive sales, sales management, and marketing experience ranging from publishing two wedding magazines to vice president of sales and education at The Knot. And now, in addition to public speaking and consulting with venues, caterers, entrepreneurs, and local businesses, Alan is also a contributing education guru for WeddingWire, the leading wedding technology company. He also speaks and consults for websites in Ireland, Dubai, India, Australia, the UK, as well as countless venues, hotels, bridal shops, planners, entertainers, and more. He's just really famous, really efficient, really productive. And everybody knows him because he is one of the best guys. The interview with Alan Berg is coming up, and this is the Wedding Boston's podcast.
Hey, Alan, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Paul. I I'm so excited because I I've been going to Wedding MBA for the past I think four or five years. Okay. And I always make sure to to attend your classes because it's there's always something to learn and I really, really value what you teach and I I you have the most I get the most notes from you. So <laughs> I'm I'm taking that as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, that, that's why I'm like I'm so happy that you said yes to the interview because finally I could have it on video and not like I suck at taking notes. So yeah, well, you know what happens when you take the notes and then you go back to your office and you put them on the bookshelf? They call that shelf help instead of self help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I take notes and I look at it and I'm like, what? What does this mean? Bird and so it's just yeah. it's just hard. So yeah. before we start, I would love it if you tell us something about yourself that people probably would be surprised to know about you. Oh, I got a, I got a few things I could do there. Um, so I'm a uh, an accomplished uh, keyboard player. I, I play uh, keyboard, guitar, and bass. I played in rock and roll bands when I was younger, when I had hair down to you know. Uh, out there instead of over to here. Uh, <laughs> so some people might know that because if there's a piano and it's not locked, it's probably getting played. Um, I've, I've played Vegas uh, or played in Vegas, I should say, three or four times on stages uh, only because I got invited to or called up or whatever. Uh, so there's one. Um, I've also uh, I taught myself Spanish starting about five, six years ago. And he uh, presentado in cinco países en español. I've presented in five countries in Spanish. So um, most people look at me and would never guess that. <laughs> and uh, the third, I know you asked for one. That's crazy. Um, the third is if, you, if people haven't read uh, one of my books called Your Attitude for Success or probably not at a wedding MBA that you saw, probably before that, uh, did a presentation where I revealed that I'm a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Yeah. These are, so those are three. <laughs> these are really interesting facts because, yeah, the Spanish thing, I because when you pulled up the book earlier um, yep. and you said you had a book in Spanish, I'm like, oh, maybe he has like a translator, but that's amazing that you could well, actually. For the books I do. I, I don't yeah. translate the books. I need uh, native speakers for that. But um, and I I write the presentations, I and then I have somebody translate the books. But I, I have presented in Panama, Uruguay, Mexico, Colombia, and uh, Guatemala in Spanish. So I'm trying to learn how to speak Spanish, too. Mm -hmm. And how long did it take you to at least like adapt to like a conversational? Spanish? Well, I started with Rosetta Stone, um, okay. which was really good, except I, you need to be in front of a computer. So I did all four levels of that uh, actually while walking on my treadmill at home. I Because you have to read, write, speak, and understand. So the typing part, you can't do while you're driving, you know, right? So um, I actually figured out that I could put my laptop on my treadmill with the headset that comes with the Rosetta Stone and read, write, speak, and understand. So I did all four levels of that. And I would say, you know, within a year, I was certainly having a conversation that I felt comfortable Wow. But I just didn't feel like I was done. So I just kept going. And then after I finished Rosetta Stone, I then went on to audio programs that I could do while I'm driving or walking or walking through an airport like I'm very often doing. 
So um, the Pimsleur, P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R, is a program that governments use, universities. So P like Paul, I M like Mary, S-L-E-U-R. And then I found on Audible, since I listened to audiobooks, um, some friends of mine actually over at Wedding Wire, they bought a company based out of Barcelona, Spain, probably about, I'm going to say about five years ago now. And they started doing lessons and one of them turned me on to some audio programs. So I started looking around on Audible and I found these audio programs uh, and I would just keep going back to beginner level. Even though I was more advanced, I'd go back to beginner level because everybody teaches differently. And then, you know, the easiest part is you learn how to speak in the present. You're speaking to someone. Hi, Paul. How are you? How's your wife? You know, but then you start to go to the past and the future and stuff. And that's where it starts to get a little squirrely because in English, we just do it. But in Spanish, all of a sudden, it's like, how do I say I used to do that? Right. <laughs> or I'm, I'm going to do that or I did that, or I would like to do that, right? We just don't think about that in English because we learned it so long ago. So I would just get these other lessons. Um, and one particular one, a guy named Paul Noble, N-O-B-L-E. I just like the way he teaches. I think he's a British guy, um, but I like the way he taught. So I'm actually going to be presenting in Paris. Well, I'm going to be presenting in Paris, France in October, but not in French, but I don't speak French. So I just got Paul Noble's French lessons and I've started learning French. And it, once you have the one language, it seems to be easier for the others. And actually French seems to be easier than Spanish, except that Spanish is a whole lot better in our country because there's a lot more places we can use it. Yeah, that's actually why I wanted to learn Spanish because in California, living in California, it's going to be really helpful. Yeah. And I remember we love vacationing in Florida too and in Florida it's way different like they they're actually expecting you to speak in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, you know every Uber driver and Lyft driver when I go to Orlando or any place in Florida, even in California the same thing. Um and I was in Orlando recently and I called for an Uber and you, know, you ever get this you're watching on it and the guy's going the wrong direction making all the wrong turns and like what are you, where are you going right just that's the good and the bad of being able to follow them right <clears throat> so the guy finally pulls into the driveway and he starts to turn the wrong way in this hotel driveway and then he stops and he opens his window and i go over and i'm waving at him and he just opens his window and he goes sabla espanol and and i do i do speak spanish so i started speaking to him in spanish and i get in the car and his gps is all in spanish and everything on his phone is all in spanish this guy hardly speaks any english And it came in handy. I was able to get where I'm going. I'm able to have a conversation. I've done it in restaurants. I've done it in hotels, uh, at conferences. People will walk up to my table, like at Wedding MBA, and I'll always have, you know, some of the books, you know, so the same book in, in English and in Spanish. And if somebody comes up and picks up the Spanish book, it's a pretty good clue to me that they probably speak Spanish. So I'll just start speaking to them in Spanish, and I'll get the, kind of get the double take because, I mean, I don't look like I speak Spanish, right? So it, it, it's just, it's a good icebreaker. It's interesting. And when people ask me why I'm doing it, I started doing it just out of respect. You know, if I go to Mexico and I go to a conference, they didn't expect me to present in Spanish. And they might have a translator or people that might speak English if it's Cancun or that area. But I thought it would, why do we expect someone who comes to the U.S. to speak English? And then when we go to their country, we expect them to speak English, right? 
And then we wonder why they think we're arrogant Americans, because <laughs> that's what we do. So I thought if I can go to Mexico and say, you know, hi, my name is Alan. It's nice to meet you. And, you know, do that in Spanish. That would be respectful. And I did that. And I was like, why do I not feel like I'm done? It didn't feel like the end. I, I feel all the gaps in the language that I just I don't know the words. That's that's what frustrates me. Right. I'm I'm, I'm cruising along in Spanish. Then all of a sudden there's a phrase or a word. And I'm like, whoa, I don't know how to say that. And that makes me want to keep doing more and more and more and just picking that up and improving the syntax and, um, you know, having a more fluid conversation with someone and where, uh, you know, I no longer have to think in English and translate it. I can think in Spanish. Um, but a funny story, you mentioned Florida. I was in Miami. I had been studying for about a year. So again, I'm getting my words and I'm having my, my phrasing and my client down there was a venue who's a, uh, owned by Cubans, big surprise in Miami. Right. So they take me out to a Cuban restaurant for lunch and we're having a nice lunch, having Cuban sandwiches. And I'm trying to speak to them in Spanish. And my client looks at me and she goes, you know, you're doing really well, but you have a Mexican accent. <laughs> and you know what my first thought was? I have an accent. Wow. That's good. That's good. I have an accent. You know, I don't, I don't totally sound like a gringo here. So it was, it was good. And it was just fun because I don't want to sound like uh, an, an American. I, I don't want to get political here, but Mike Bloomberg, when he was mayor of New York, he's fluent in Spanish, but when he speaks Spanish, he speaks with his New York accent. So he speaks like a New Yorker, but he's speaking Spanish. And it's almost like the video doesn't match the audio, right? Cause there's no attempt at an accent. It's just saying the words with his New York accent. And it's really funny because it comes across like, what? <laughs> You're not even trying. <laughs> so I, I want it to be more like I'm trying and I'd rather have a Mexican accent than no accent. So that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could even do that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm just following the lessons and I'm, I, Rosetta Stone was a Latin American version. Okay. Uh, then when I did other lessons, I was doing a, um, one that had a combination, it would give you the Latin American version and then the Spain version because there's a difference in the way they pronounce different things. So they would have two people speaking and one of them would speak as if they were in Latin America and the other would speak as if they were in Spain. So if we were talking about, you know, the sky is blue is, you know, el cielo es azul, the sky is blue, it's el cielo es azul, right? Azul. So it's different in Spain and you would get that so you could understand somebody because I, I actually ended up going to Spain with my wife and another couple. Man, so. that's so helpful. I, I can't wait to actually hop on it because I, I bought a bunch of, uh, I don't know if you know Michelle Thomas. He is a, um, he teaches different languages, right? But okay. his course, um, he does not require you to write anything. You just right. try to understand and he repeats everything and he right. talks about like how the French words are really, really connected to the English words and the yeah. Spanish words. It's just crazy. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. That, if you look up that Paul Noble, like I said, that's the one I'm, I'm looking at, I'm doing now cause I've done his other lessons, but you know, so here's the, this is what I'm, I'm doing now. Ooh. Okay. So that's French. But uh, I did the Spanish and I, I just like the way he teaches it. Same thing. He says, don't try to remember it, memorize it. We'll come back to these words and it'll become more natural. And you can always just repeat that chapter or that lesson, whatever. And it, then it goes into your brain, pardon me, your brain. And then all of a sudden you just know it as yeah. opposed to, I have to remember the word, remember the word, remember the word. 
That's what we did in school because I took Spanish back when I was in school, which is a long time ago, first of all. And second of all, that's how they taught us. So, you know, I learned more in, oh, I don't know, three months of doing these lessons by myself than I learned in years of Spanish in school because it was a memorization thing. And Maria put the pencil on the table and it's like, great. I don't know Maria and nobody's got a pencil anymore. So <laughs> it doesn't help us. It doesn't help <laughs> you us. You know, I, I love that we talked about this icebreaker for yeah. <laughs> like 10 minutes. 10 minutes. <laughs> but I know this is like a great segue to what we're actually going to talk about. Okay. But first, before we get into that, I would mm -hmm. love it if you... I, I love origin stories. Okay. And so I would love to know what got you started to be in this industry and what you're up to right now. Great. Well, I appreciate that. What got me into the industry was actually a friend of mine bought a franchise of a wedding magazine. So I was in a completely different industry, uh, in a job I hated. And I, my friend bought this wedding magazine and he had no connection to the wedding industry either. His mother-in-law at the time was a typesetter and she was doing typesetting for a franchise of this wedding magazine in a different part of the state. And she told him, Hey, I heard that the New Jersey franchise is for sale. If you know anybody. So she then tells her son-in-law and then he buys this franchise and he calls me up and says, I don't want a partner. I want a salesman. I really want you to sell. Uh, you know, we had been best friends for a long time. We had been in, in sales together in, in, in different things. So he said, I want you to be my salesman straight commission, no salary, no draw, no minimum, no guarantee 1099, but it's straight commission. And okay. You know, I hated my job. Sounds like a good thing to do, right? Except I hated my job that I was making really good money, had a company car, fully paid benefits. Oh, and my wife was pregnant. My older son was turning three. So is that really a good time to go into a brand new industry with no salary, no minimum, no benefits, no guarantees? Yeah. And it was because I hated what I was doing. And I had an epiphany, you know, in my 20s, I had an epiphany that said, it's not the money. And it's, it's not. And, and to this day, when we start talking about, you know, the why it, it's not the money is not why I do what I do. It's a product of what I, why I do what I do, but it is not why I do it. So I sold wedding advertising for five years for the magazines. My wife and I bought the franchises. So we published two wedding magazines for five years. The franchisor wanted me to come and work for them and manage their sales team on the Northeast. So Boston down to DC. So we sold the franchises back to them. I went to work for them as a sales director. And then four months later, The Knot, TheKnot.com, bought the company. And they were a very young company at the time, had just had their initial public offering, and they bought our company, Wedding Pages. Uh, so I was regional sales director for a couple of years. Then I was vice president of sales, and I was a vice president there through, so from 2000 through 2011, I was there. Most of that time, I was vice president of sales, sales operations, and I was the main speaker. So I started speaking when I had my magazines and I would do little workshops for my uh, advertisers. And then when I went to the knot, they made me their main business speaker because the VP of sales, when I first got hired, he didn't want to do it. And he said, you're going to do it. I said, all right. And then for 11 years, I ended up being the main speaker and doing webinars and writing articles and going to conferences like wedding MBA. And I was the main business speaker for the knot for 11 years. And, 11, and so in 2011, um, I untied the knot. That's my one joke. I uh, <laughs> used to be funnier when I didn't consult for them anymore, but now I do again. So it's 
it's still funny. Anyway, um, and I started consulting for Wedding Wire a year later. And uh, my own business is speaking, sales training, consulting, my books. Um, I've presented in 14 countries, uh, five of them in Spanish. I've written five books. Uh, two of them are in their second edition. I'm working on the sixth book I just started on now. Um, and that's the not so short story. That is that is exhausting just listening to that. But man, have you, you know, the 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 reach that you have right now is just amazing. Like even, you know, right. the, learning how to speak Spanish pretty much just broadened your audience. And it's great. I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you. You know, we, we have to do things that are hard. We, 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 we tend to fall into doing easy things. But when people who are Spanish speakers are from in their country and they ask me, you know, that why did you learn Spanish? And I tell them, you know, it's out of respect. But, I, you know, I also did it because it's hard. And when we do things that are hard, we push what, what's possible. We push what we're capable of. So most Americans, well, I've heard like 70% of Americans will never have a passport, right? Because the country's so big. And then most Americans speak one language and that's it. And, you know, to me, it's both of those questions. It's like, well, why, right? Why don't you have a passport? Why don't you want to go beyond our borders? Um, and, you know, to me, Canada was, ooh, I went international, I went to Canada, I went to Mexico, right? That's like going through our attic and our basement, right? That's like right here. There's a lot of world. <laughs> so now when I talk about my business, well, next month, actually in a couple of weeks, I'll be in the UK. I'm doing sales training in London. I'm speaking at a conference in Birmingham. My wife and I are going to go up to Scotland. In May, I'll be in Australia for the third time. I was there twice last year. Um, in October, I already said I'm going to be speaking in Paris, France. I might be down in Colombia again in South America in September or October. We're trying to figure out some dates. It's crazy. You know, I talk about that like, hey, you know, hey Paul, I'm going to Ohio and I'm going to Australia. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just, it, 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 that's my world now because the world is, you know, if you're willing to get into a metal tube, the world is wherever you want to go, except maybe Asia right now. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that. Just make sure you wash your hands a lot more often. <laughs> we'll, we'll do. I will have hand sanitizer <laughs> stuffed into every pocket. And, oh boy, and all that. But uh, yeah, now it's. I, I I'm I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to get in a cocoon. And I, I love that that you always ask yourself why. Kind of like when yeah. when you started speaking Spanish, your yeah. why was to because of respect because you yeah. wanted to make sure that they are getting the i guess the the proper way of speaking to them you know i love that well again somebody comes here and we expect if you get on a stage here we expect you to speak to us in english all right and it doesn't have to be perfect right? yeah. you, somebody comes here and they have an accent and they're speaking and you're like you don't we don't even think about it right we don't even think hey they're respecting us and speaking in english we expect it right and then we go to their country and they don't expect us to speak in their language which well what's wrong with that picture right what, what's wrong, what's wrong with that why why wouldn't you expect me to speak in your language in your country so the fact that i can do it um and it's, it's funny because sometimes it's intentional i'm going there they know i'm going to be presenting in spanish and then last year i was in guatemala and they they tell me an hour before i'm going to go on that the translator didn't come so i was supposed to present in english with a translator and all of a sudden there's no translator and how many other speakers, how many other Americans can be standing in Guatemala City and say, well, okay, well, I'll present in Spanish that, you know, 
and it was a little more involved than that. We needed to borrow an iPad and transfer notes and <clears throat> do things like that. But, you know, I could do it. And six years ago, I, no, no way. I mean, I didn't know the language. And three years ago, I said, hey, maybe I could present, you know, because I realized this, when I'm presenting on stage, nobody else is talking. So I don't have to understand anybody. So if I know what I want to say and I've practiced it, it's actually easier because the conversation part is, what did you say? And now I have to react to that and know what to say. So, yeah. That's man, that's really inspirational. I, I now I really want to get into. It. Okay, okay. So, so el año el año entrante next year, ambos uh, uh, hablamos en español. Together we'll speak in Spanish. Oh my gosh! Uh, see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now um now I want to get into the the meat of what we're gonna what we're going to talk about, and that okay. is I actually had a, a set of questions already for you, but then I stumbled upon a video last night of you presenting in London. And it's uh, at the Bride, Bride Lux. Mm -hmm. Is it the Bride yeah. Lux? And you, you pretty much, as soon as you said, um, as soon as you said the, they, need, they need what you do, but mm -hmm. do they need you to do it? That yeah. sold me. I sat down and I watched the whole thing. And <laughs> do you do you mind talking about that a little bit? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm working on presentations for a conference next week in Vegas, Cater Source Conference. And one of the things I'm I was just working on before we got on here was slides talking about exactly that thing there. So by the time somebody reaches out to you. They've already done a lot of research. You think about our own searching online, right? We go on, we Google things, we look at social media, we search maybe on YouTube or whatever. And by the time we actually reach out to a business and say, I want to connect with someone there, we've done a lot of stuff, right? Watching videos, um, looking at photos, reading reviews, looking at websites, all those things. So by the time somebody gets to you and fills out your contact form or emails you, texts you, WhatsApps you, whatever, however they contact you, social media, they need what you do. So do they need a photographer? Okay, they need a photographer. Do they need you? Because there's a lot of photographers, right? And there's talented photographers and there's talented DJs and there's talented caterers and there's talented you know, wedding planners and florists. So by the time they reach out to you specifically, do they need you to do what they want? And then do you know what they want? Are you selling what they want or are you selling a list of services? Because what they want is not your services. That's your what. They want the results of those services. And those results, if they feel they can only get them from you, they have to hire you and they have to pay your price. Okay? So in, in the wedding industry the barrier to entry is very low. There, there's no licensing requirements for most categories. If you're food service, okay, there's licensing over there. If you're an officiant, there's licensing. But for most categories in most places, <clears throat> not just in the US, but in the world, there's no, no license required. So if you want to call yourself a wedding photographer, poof, you're a wedding photographer. If you want to call yourself a wedding DJ, right? If I, I want to be a wedding DJ, I can take my credit card down to Guitar Center and go buy a DJ setup right now, throw it in the back of my car. I can call myself a wedding DJ. It doesn't make me a wedding DJ, but I can call myself that. If uh, somebody plans their own wedding and then thinks they're an expert, they can call themselves a wedding planner and start 
you know, pitching their services to other people. So the what of what you do is what's expected. And this was actually my latest article. I don't know if you get my blog, but I write a new article every month from my website. And the article this time is, are you selling what they expect to get? Or are you selling the results? So they expect that their photographer will have professional equipment. They expect that they'll have experience and know how to use that equipment. They expect that they've done other weddings and events for how many and how long, I don't know, but they expect something like that. What they really want is to feel a certain way when they look at the pictures and let it bring back the emotion and let, let them relive that day and let people who were never there, like children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, to find a photo and, and feel transported into that moment, right? If they're hiring a DJ, they don't need music because that's a means to an end. What they want is the right music at the right time, at the right level, for the right crowd, so that a ceremony sound, I can hear every word of your vows if I'm in the last row, and cocktail sound, I can have a conversation while I'm having a drink, and then the right background music, and then the introductions are going to make us laugh and cry, and then the, the cake cutting, and then the dancing is going to be the right type for all, for that, all these things. And what they want is when the, they're standing on the middle of the dance floor, dancing, surrounded by their friends and family. I, this is how I tell DJs to sell it. You, you say, listen, when, you, when you're there, it's four hours into the night and your hands are in the air and you look around and everybody's having a great time and you look over at the DJ. Do you see me making that happen? Right? That's the difference because anybody can buy my speakers. Anybody can buy my equipment. But does, do you see me making it happen? Right? Anybody can buy the same flowers from the same wholesaler. But... What is what are people going to think when they sit down at your table, right? They sit down at the table there, you know, table number 13, right? And they sit down there. It's like, wow, that wow, that feeling, that emotion, that these flowers are just perfect. They're perfect size. They're right colors. They're right everything. That's not about the flowers. That's about bringing that vision and that theme and all that stuff together. So what you do, they already need. They've already eliminated most of your competitors, because they're not going to reach out to 20 different fill in the blanks, photographers, caterers, whatever. They'll look at them online, but they won't reach out to them. Right. So what is Tinder? Swipe left is the bad one. What is that? I think, yeah, I think it's swipe left. We're married, so we shouldn't know that. Yeah, right? I, I <clears throat> okay. <laughs> it's swipe left. So it, it's in the lexicon now. <laughs> so swiping left is bad. Swiping right is good. They've already swiped left on most of your competitors, and you made this short list because they like what they've seen, what they've read, what they've watched, whatever it is, whether it's personal recommendations or recommendations from their other vendors or reviews. They already like what they've seen, and therefore you made the cut. So you don't have to sell them on the fact that you can do what they need. What you have to sell them on is why should they choose you as opposed to the other two or three or four people that have made that short list. And that why is in all the intangibles, how they feel about the way you respond to them, the language that you use to them, how you, the questions you ask them and all those things and bring out the why, you know, <clears throat> I don't do what I do because you need what I do, right? You don't, nobody needs sales training, right? What you need is to convert leads better, to feel more comfortable, to follow up better, to close more sales. That's what you need, right? The training is the means to an end. And then my why is the feedback I get. So I got an email yesterday from this young lady, a caterer in Pennsylvania that's brought me in. This is the second or third time he's brought me in. This particular young lady started with them in January. 
And he brought me in in February, so like the third week of February. So she had only been there for about four or five weeks, six weeks, something like that. She had only closed one sale in that amount of time. And I get the feeling that she was relatively young and not that experienced in sales. Well, in the two weeks since I was there, she's closed four sales, right? So she did one in five or six weeks. And now in two weeks, she's closed four. And the email she wrote me, I didn't ask for it. She wrote me an email unsolicited to thank me. That's my why. My why is that I've had an impact. And that's a lifelong impact because the skills that I taught her those skills are going to keep building as she learns more and more and more. She got has that, that foundation. So the why is what did she need? She got that why. And, and, and that's not everybody in the room got the same thing, right? The same training, heard all the same words, but she had a message that resonated with her and the other people at the table, different things. I had gotten an email from somebody else in there. He was copying me, blind copying me on emails to clients to show me how he was responding now versus how he responded before. And I would put little feedback and say, hey, that's great. Why don't you tweak that? Hey, that's there. That's my why, right? Has nothing to do with the money. The money's done. I already got paid. (laughs) What it had to do with is they want my help to get them to whatever that outcome that they want. So when you find out the outcome, what the customer wants, you can get them to that and show them that you're the only one that can do that, right? Anybody else can take the pictures, cook the food, arrange the flowers, all those things, but they want you to do it. Um, and a lot, you know, a lot of us in the industry compete against free, right? The, the, the friender, right? The friend who's a vendor or, uh, oh yeah, my, my, my uncle's really good with a camera. He's going to come and take pictures or, oh, my brother-in-law is a DJ, right? Okay. I compete against free. How many conferences do you go to where the speakers are not getting paid, right? It happens. I, people will give you their two cents and consult with you for free, but yet people pay me a lot of money to come and spend the day with them either in a group or privately or whatever. And if you can't tell the difference, you'll never hire me, right? You won't because there's always somebody cheaper. And, you know, and that happens to all of us, right? Somebody comes back to you and says, hey, you know, Paul, I looked around and I found so-and-so and, you know, they were half the price of you. Okay. Why didn't you book them? <laughs> They're half the price of me. Why didn't you book them? Came back because they wanted you. They want their price, but they want you. And actually, that's the way that I tell people to answer. You know, first of all, thank you for coming back because obviously there's something about the connection here that you, you know, you love the results that I could be able to do for you. And you really have a choice. You can have their price or you can have our results. I love that. Okay. So just to talk about a little snippet because I, my wife is really good at doing this. And at first when she started doing it, I'm like, what are you doing? We're losing the client. And she's like, you know, I don't want to exert the same amount of effort for less because I know that we're doing the same amount of effort for what we are charging. Right. And that's what she tells the clients. Like, yeah, we could we could recommend other people like lower budget clients. Uh we just can't promise the quality, you know, of the right. service. And whenever we get like a someone who comes in here with a $1500 budget for video, mm-hmm. they come in here, they leave booking one of our our second highest one. Which is almost close to six grand. So, so I'm like, well, but that, but that, see, that's it, that brings up a really good point. When you're buying something you've never bought before, you have no point of reference. 
It's called framing, right? So we, we all frame every decision based upon prior decisions. So they've never hired a wedding videographer before or a videographer of any type before, uh, except that every one of us has a you know HD video camera with us, right? So their point of reference is nothing, zero. They have no idea. So what they'll do is they'll go look at some survey and it'll say that the average wedding in the US is $30,000 and this percentage of that goes to video and therefore $1,500 sounds about right. Well, if you have a $30,000 budget and it has to go to the food and the venue and the, all these other things, maybe that's all that in an average percentage that you would spend. The person that ends up spending 6,000 is because they're not spending 30,000 on their wedding. So the numbers don't add up, but they have no point of reference. They have no framing on that. So now they look around and they find somebody else that's going to charge 2000 and then look around and they say, well, they have a nice video. It's not yours, right? But it's a nice video and they can get video for 2000. Absolutely. And you can get video for 500, go hire a film student from, I'm sure there's a film school someplace around that somebody, some kid will be like, whoa, 500 bucks. Yeah, I can do that. Right. You're going to get what you pay for. And uh, I actually heard a photographer at Wedding Wire World a few years ago in DC. She came up to me and told me a story that she was 5,000 for photography. And the couple came back and said, listen, we found this other photographer and she was really nice and she had nice pictures and she was 2,000. And she said, you know what? I'm sure she's a really good $2,000 photographer. <laughs> right? And when she can do for you what we can, I'm just paraphrasing now, but when she can do for you for what we can, I'm sure she's going to charge 5,000 also. She's probably just not there yet, right? So you can use a variation wow. of that, which is, you know, listen, there's a lot, always somebody cheaper, right? And when they get to the point where they can deliver what we can deliver, no doubt about it, their prices are going to be where our prices are. Maybe they'll even charge more. They're probably just not there yet. You know, well, maybe they'll, then they'll get there. If they work at it, they'll get there. But if you want the results we can provide for you now, we can do that and we do that at our price because we can't deliver what we do at their price. Right. And you let that sink in. Right. Exactly. You let oh that gosh. sink in because again, that's the why, what are you buying? Right. You're not buying a DVD or an MP4, right. Or what are you buying? You're not buying the, the, the actual physical. Yes. You shot a video, you edited a video and you put it together into a format that can be played on a, right. All these devices. That's a, that's a what and a how, right? If you're familiar with Simon Sinek, who, whose books start with why, the golden circle, what, how, and why, right? They need what you do, which is video. They don't care how you get there. Like nobody says, uh, so is that a Sony camera, right? No, nobody asks. Oh, is that lens? Is that an F2.4? Nobody cares, right? They care about the why. And, and this is the thing with video. I always tell people, they'll say, oh, you know, we're never going to watch it. Because anybody who I know who's getting married gets video. Even when they tell me they're not getting video, they get video. And after they get it, they're so glad that they have it, right? And I tell them, it is not how many times the video will get watched. It's what it means to the people who watch it when they do. And that might be now, years from now, right? 10, 20, 30 years from now. I mean, a great story. If you go to my blog and you do a search for let's watch our first dance, right? Just put that title in there. You'll come up with an article I wrote for a Brattle magazine called Let's Watch Our First Dance. Oh, that's right. We can't, right? That's the name of the article. And the story in there very simply is that I don't have video for my wedding. And it's not that we made a decision. We didn't say we don't want video. When I got married, 
nobody was selling video. It was photography. That that's what it was. It was kind of this funny in between time between the you know when big cameras became smaller cameras and it, it was that Sony Betamax VHS fight and you know all that kind of stuff. I do have professionally shot black and white eight millimeter movies of my parents' wedding in 1954. I can watch right now, 60, what, 66 years later, I can watch my parents' wedding. What's that worth? And what if somebody said to me, I was having this conversation with my friend the other day because his son is engaged and I told his son, you're going to have video. And his son came back to me and said, you know, it's funny, we weren't going to have video, but I was talking to my brother who got married three years ago and you told them exactly the same thing and they did. So kudos for the consistency, right? So I said, you're going to have video. I said, now here's the very simple thing. Your parents got married the year before my wife and I got married. I was in their wedding party. I said, they don't have video. We don't have video. What would we pay right now if we could have video, right? What would you pay? It's priceless, right? You can't put a number on it. So I recommended them to a friend of mine who's one of the top videographers that I know in the, in the country, if not in the world. And I said, I don't know if you can afford them because you weren't planning video, but if you can afford them, like you said, is it 1500 or 6,000? He's the guy, right? And if not, here are some other people. They'll do a really good job, probably not as much as him, but they're still in that. You're going to get a really good product, right? And the difference is not the money, right? The difference between them, there's an intangible thing, right? You, we watch, you watch a great video, you're not you. Well, you're, you're, you're looking at things that we're not looking at, right? You're looking at transitions and composition and, and contrast and lighting and stuff like that. The rest of us are just feeling it. And when you feel it and the transitions are right, you don't notice them. They just happen. And that's the thing is if you're noticing it, it's wrong. <laughs> you should just be feeling it, right? And that's, that's the intangible again. Yeah. So by the time they reach out, they already need video. They already think they want video. Then the question is, are you the one to make them feel like you're going to deliver a product, which remember, they're going to pay you before they get the product, <laughs> right? So there's a lot of trust there because this is not reality TV where they can cut, reset, cut, reset, right? Uh, do you know John Goolsby? Yes. So John's a good friend of mine. And John was telling me his daughter was uh, it works at a rental company, like, you know, tables, chairs, tents, stuff like that. And- Paris Hilton, uh, Nicole Richie were filming their reality show there and they shot a scene, cut, reset it, shot a scene again, cut it. They did the same scene three times. They're about to set it for the fourth time. And some guy on the set, because John just went to watch, some guy on the set goes, uh, wow, this reality TV is just exhausting. And John's like, reality TV? You're resetting the same scene for the fourth time. How is that reality? He says, you want reality? A wedding. There's no, oh, oh, could you walk down the aisle again? Could you, could, no, you don't get to do that, right? That's reality TV. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you because that's a, a really, really great point. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm asking the right thing because I, I, what I think you're saying is people expect something from you. Oh, so are, are, there are two, peop- two kinds of people that are going to buy from you, people who expect something from you and people who want to know your why or is that like a stage but before you answer that i really want to talk about something that the listeners should know about 
the Facebook group that I have created to help wedding business owners figure out specific issues about running their business, from sales to marketing to advertising, social media. No art stuff here, just all business. I know, right? It's such a great idea. If you're committed to building a wedding business that will last, you need to join this group. We'll have tips, episode transcripts, workshop information, and many more. So I hope to see you there. Just click on the link in the show notes. Okay, so what's your answer to my question? Well, so what's expected is the minimum uh, bullet point list, okay? Gotcha. So you're going to deliver me in this format, flash drive, MP3, in a cloud, on a DVD, Blu-ray, whatever it is. You're going to have professional equipment. You're going to show up on time. You're not going to get in the way. I'm not going to see you in the photographer's pictures, right? That's expected, right? The why gets into that intangible. And how do I feel about this interaction? Because people buy from people. They don't buy from companies. And nobody buys from a company. They buy from a person. So do they like you? Do they know you? Do they trust you? Do you make a connection with them where they feel, well, you know what? Paul, Paul, I I like Paul, right? I'll pay more for Paul because I trust Paul more. You know, there are other talented people, but maybe they don't have good people skills. Maybe they're jerks. You know, maybe they might, because we know some people like that, right? Incredibly talented, but they're kind of jerks, you know? And, and, you know, I I had somebody say to me one time, you know, Alan, you're our most expensive speaker, but you're the easiest to do business with. I said, good. Because if I was your most expensive speaker and the hardest to do business with, you would never hire me, (laughs) Right. Because that's one of those intangible things there. So the why, they may never articulate, right? Because they think they're buying video, just like they think they're buying catering and they think they're buying a DJ and they think they're buying flowers, but they're not. They're buying these results, these outcomes, the way they're going to feel. So when it comes to expressing your why, the best way to express why they should hire you is using the words of your past clients to show them what they said after. How do they talk about that video? How do they talk about the interaction with you when they say that you were so responsive and you, you know, responded quickly to every email? Well, they're hiring a videographer, but being responsive, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that was a good thing. They didn't think that they needed that until they read it. They're like, well, yeah, I want that. I guess not everybody would be responsive. And they talk about how you, know, the, you gave them all the different formats that they want. Okay, there's a what. <clears throat> But you love the fact that you have this little trailer that you can show on your phone all the time or that you gave them a a one minute Instagrammable whatever or all these things. And, you know, uh, uh, actually, I'll give you a story. A videographer up in Boston, she had done an ad in the Knot magazine. This is years ago. And um, she didn't like the ad. It, It was just kind of boring. Typical, you know, here's a photo and. It's a nice photo outside. The veil is blowing in the wind. The trees and the mountains are behind her. And okay, great. It's, it's a photo. It's beautiful. But and then it just had the what, you know, phone number, email, you know, web address. So I said, well, let's, let's find what makes you different. So we had her name and her tagline. And we went to the knot. We went to Wedding Wire. And we started reading her reviews. And the very first review said, I cried buckets when I watched my wedding video for the first time. Buckets? Who says I cried buckets, right? You try to feel the difference in emotion. Between, I cried when I watched my video. No, I cried buckets, right? And then there was another one that said, like two down from that said, 
We cry tears of joy every time we watch our video. It's like reliving our wedding over again, okay? So I took this photo and I took some, what we call negative space, right? Some areas that are just green with the trees and stuff and put those two testimonial quotes right there on the photo. So there's the bride and groom, there's the veil, there's the quotes right there. And then you need a call to action. Well, instead of just putting web address, phone number, whatever, I wrote the line, grab a tissue and go to our website and see for yourself. And then call us, email us, contact us, right? But that line of grab a tissue, go to our website is setting an expectation. If she cried buckets and she cried tears of joy, how are you going to feel? Okay. And that's getting to the why. That's really, really good. I like that. I'm going to start using that too. <laughs> <laughs> go right ahead my gift to you the 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 reason why i asked that is because uh, i mean uh why i asked the expect part is because mm -hmm. whenever i talk to other videographers or other wedding vendors there are clients <clears throat> who stop at the expect and then they go <laughs> on booking the client without finding out what their why is you know the those kinds of clients yeah so like after the wedding, it happens, they see the video or see the photos and they're not really happy because they're expecting something else. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you handle that? How do you, is there a way that you can still give your why after? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it depends because on the one hand, editing is an art, right? So if you have the footage, you can always go back and you can edit it a different way. Uh, how you try to prevent that is upfront by asking better questions, by asking what's important to them, by asking them, you know, to show you movies, talk about movies that they liked or, or, or other of your sample videos or things, you know, what is it that you like about this? What do you not like? You know, if you, if you could change something, if you were that couple and you would change something about this video, what would you change? And they might say, oh, I like that and I like that, but I really don't want that, right? And, that, and who knows, maybe that's your signature move, right? Maybe that's your, your, your thing there. Um, but finding out what, what they want, what's important to them, right? Is it more important to them that it looks and feels like a movie? Is it more important to them that it makes their friends jealous? Is it more important that, you know, every scene has her in it or him in it? You know, some of those people are centric on themselves. Um, what, what do they want to show? Or maybe let's say, maybe you have a video and it's the same sex couple and they don't want too many images of them kissing because it might make their family feel uncomfortable if they do the long version, but Hey, could you give us a short version? You know, our version, and I want those in there, but take them, don't put them in there. Right. That might be important to them. So find out the things that are important to them, have a better conversation and they'll know that you care more. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it Franklin Roosevelt or I think Teddy Roosevelt who said, people won't care how much you know until you know how much you care, right? So if you care about the better outcome, you know, when I talk to somebody, I don't talk about training. It's like, what keeps you up at night? What's your, what, what's your biggest challenge? You know, if, if we could fix something right now, if I could wave my wand, what would be the first thing you'd have me fix? And I'm trying to find out the pain. I'm trying to find out the, the, you know, the, the friction. I'm trying to find out the sticking points so that we can get them past that next thing because everybody's got a different need. So, you know, don't just assume you want me to come and capture video and make and edit it. You'll know the result better when you've had better conversations. And let's be honest, not everybody's going to give you good answers. Not everybody knows how to articulate it. So you might have to ask the questions different ways 
or say, you know, show me. So uh, do you do you ever watch any wedding movies? <clears throat> yeah. What's your favorite wedding movie? Right. And they might tell you father of the bride. You say, OK, the original or the remake. Right. Or they might tell you, um, you know, what was it? The, the one with the guy was the bride, the, the man of honor or what was it? Made of made of honor. Made of honor. But he was the guy. Um, or it's one with J-Lo where she's the wedding planner. Right. What is it? What is it? Right. So try to get to the root for them of what's important so you can deliver that so that you can call it a success. Right. Okay. And when they when they tell you that they're not happy, you want to get them to articulate better because if you have the footage, okay, well we can re-edit this and make it what you want. But you know what is it that they're not happy about? Listen, if they're not happy about the way their hair looks, it's not your fault, <laughs> right? No. Bad hair day is not your fault. The wind was blowing is not your fault. That might be what they're unhappy about. Is that or? You know, it's funny. Every couple says, I hope it's bright and sunny on my wedding day. And you're like, I hope it's not right. I want that even cloud cover. I want God's diffuser, right? That's what I want. But they think they want a bright, sunny day. Okay. So they get a bright, sunny day and you get a lot of, you get a lot of this. They might be unhappy about that. Not your fault, but it it's highlighting that in that video, right? So get to try to get to the root of, you know, what they're not happy about. And, you know, can you do anything about it? You can only do so much okay so i i actually researched well I, i tried to look for um statistics about how many weddings do people attend in a year and i think i don't know if you have a number do you have a number that no but i heard a crazy number i was uh, at an event and somebody that works for the knot she was married about a year and i said so in this year how many weddings have you been to personally and she said 17 Wow. Okay. Said, that was a really expensive year because, you know, she had to get a different dress for every one of those weddings. Right. And buy so, gifts too. And buy gifts and then maybe travel and all that kind of stuff. That was a really expensive year, but 17 weddings. And I don't have a number, but we know this. People tend to get married around a certain age, which means their friends are probably their cousins and all those. They're all falling like dominoes. Right. Um, so I got married a year after my sister my uh, two friends I actually had three weddings on a weekend. I was in two wedding parties. It was crazy. Um, but so we're, and then my other friends, I was kind of on the early side of that. So I was probably the third or fourth of my friends and then a bunch of them after within the next few years. And that's pretty typical. Wow. Okay. Well, the, the one, <clears throat> the one I found was three years, an average of three. Oh, uh, I mean, not three years, three weddings per an year, average of three weddings per year. Okay. And I love that point that you, I want to go back to that point when you say that people care about the outcomes and the results, because yeah. these people who attend three weddings, 17 weddings a year, they don't really care about, you know, how everything's arranged. I, I always tell the couples that there are only two things that people will remember after your wedding the food and the dj because it's either they had a great time eating or had a great time dancing mm -hmm. and i don't know how you feel about that is there um well the, the two it, biggest regrets on almost every survey the two biggest regrets of people after they got married is if they didn't have video and if they didn't have a planner those are the two biggest regrets because they didn't realize how much goes into it And then, although day of wedding planning is the worst possible phrase because there's no such thing as day of, they you know start four to six weeks or longer before that. 
But the fact that on your wedding day, you don't have J-Lo with headsets and all of her team there making everything happen, you'll realize that now your mom, your sister, your maid of honor, and your friends are trying to do all that stuff and that the venue's planner is not a wedding planner. It's a venue planner. It's a venue coordinator. That's what they do. And they're, you know, that's not the same thing. And then, you know, photos are great, but video, I mean, let's face it, you know, video on Facebook is taking over and the, uh, the video searches, YouTube is the second biggest search engine out there. So, you know, it, it rivals Google, although they own them both. But um, so the fact that not having video is going to be a huge regret because they will not be able to see it in action. They'll be able to see a photo of it, but they won't be able to see it in action. Um, and like I said, it's one of the biggest regrets. And every one of my friends, everybody that I've, in some cases, goaded them to have video is so happy that they did because they can now go and see that. Again, just imagine me now. I can see my parents dance their first dance right now. I can't hear it because it's black and white, no, no sound, but I can watch them right? My mom isn't around anymore. My dad's 89. I can see them dancing their first dance. And there's my mom at 20 years old, right? What is that worth? There's no price you can put on that. And that's the whole key. The, the, the key is you're going to remember whether you had a good time, right? You want, if you're buying it, you want them to remember the food because you paid for it, but you want to remember it in a good way. And when I teach customer service, I say, listen, there's only three possible outcomes from every interaction that we have as a consumer, right? We can, they can fall short of our expectations. That's obviously unacceptable. They can meet our expectations and that's unacceptable because they're just going to fade away. We're not going to remember it or we can exceed the expectations, right? So we always want to exceed someone's expectations because we want to remember it in a good way. So I want, if I'm paying for that food, I want them to come away from that wedding going, wow, that was the best food I've ever had at a wedding, right? As opposed to walking away and like, how was the wedding food? It was like, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't good, wasn't bad, it was all right, right? So you want to leave them remembering the experience. Yeah, I want them to remember the food. I want them to remember that they danced all night. But truth is, there's three groups of people at a wedding. People that dance all night, people that dance sometimes, and people that aren't dancers, right? So what I teach venues and I teach people to sell is, well, you know, what are you going to do for the two groups of people that don't dance and that dance sometimes, right? What other fun things do you have? You know, and at some venues, it's lawn games and it's a photo booth and it's right. What else is there for them to do when they're not dancing? <clears throat> so it's actually a great way to sell a photo booth is just to use that phrasing, right? Because that's an outcome. Let's, let's talk about that. Is a photo booth a why? No, a photo booth is a what? right? The why is something fun for them to do when they're not dancing. The why is, and you've probably done this, I've done this, I could probably go into my desk drawer right now and root around for something and pull out a photo strip by accident of an event that I went to, right? Industry event, wedding or something like that. And as soon as I pull that out, I'm going to smile. Not just because the photo might be funny. I'm going to smile because I'm going to remember the event. And if there's other people in that picture, I'm going to remember those people. And all of a sudden, I'm transported back to that point. So that's the why of a photo booth, right? The what is, this is a photo strip, and it's on photo paper, and it was printed, right? That's a what, right? But the why is, look at the good time I had. Look at the time I remember when I pull that out now. I remember that food. Oh, my gosh, that food was amazing, right? That's a why. If I'm telling the guest, let me tell you the opposite. 
falling short. My dad, go, my parents go to a wedding a few years ago and my dad comes back and I said, Hey, how was that wedding? He goes, there were 400 people. There was way too much food and it wasn't that good. Right now you can imagine, right? Being in the industry. Oh, it was a glot kosher wedding. So which you made foods even more expensive, right? Can you imagine feeding 400 people glot kosher food and having the review be, yeah, wasn't that good, right? That is not the review that you want. You want them coming back and saying, gosh, there were 400 people there. There was more food than you can imagine. And wow, blew my mind that food was so good, right? Instead, he's saying there was too much food, meaning I didn't even like the food and it was more of it, right? <laughs> As opposed to there was so much great food there, I just couldn't even have it all, right? Same amount of food could have different result, the different why. You know, his why was like, yeah, I didn't even want to eat it. Crazy. That's so nuts. Okay. It's, it's crazy because um, when you, whenever you serve food and people don't eat it, that means it's really bad, Right. It's but nuts. why do caterers always show pictures of food without people eating them? I, I think the saddest picture is a buffet, beautiful buffet with no people there. Because what are you showing? Like, is it, is it not good, right? Why, why don't they want to eat that? Instead, and actually for Cater Source, the conference next week, I asked a photographer friend of mine, Vanessa Joy, I said, could you send me some pictures of people enjoying the food at a wedding? Because it's not the typical photo that you would see. And she sent me this picture and there's a buffet and there's a woman digging into this and she's got a big smile on her face for what she's about to have. It's like, perfect, perfect. That's what you're showing is that you're selling that. You're not selling the food. You're selling that lady enjoying the food. That's the better picture. And that's what I want caterers to show. And I'm going to actually show that in my presentation. I want you to show pictures like that. So people go, wow, that food must be really good. Look at her. So when you say sell the experience, is it mm -hmm. safe to say that um, you're selling? I mean, you're 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 giving the client the why. You're finding out the, what they want in terms of the outcome. You're presenting them with ideas for outcomes that they never imagined, right? So there's a book called The Challenger Sale, and you're challenging their outcome, challenging their expectations instead of it, one of the things they say in the book. If you say to somebody, oh, here, this is what I can do for you. And they go, oh, that's exactly what I want. OK, well, that's what they want. That's what they've already imagined, what they can already imagine. But if you say, oh, well, what if we did this? And they go, whoa, I didn't even know you could do that. That now is giving them an outcome they have to get from you. So that's part of that. You know, CeCe uh, Johnson is a very high-end uh, invitation designer in New York City. And she and I were at Bride Lux, uh, not the past one, the one before that. And she uses the phrase, what if, right? So somebody's saying, you know, what, what can you do for me, Paul? You say, you can do this and this. And they say, what do, what do you want? You ask them, they tell you. And then you say, what if we did this, right? They go, you could do that? Now you're presenting them with a why. You're presenting them with an outcome that they didn't even know was possible and they have to get it from you. So now the price becomes less important because you want the outcome. And here's the interesting thing. All budgets are arbitrary. A budget is just a number that somebody came up with. And 
whoever came up with that number can change the number, <laughs> right? And we do it ourselves, right? You go to buy something and you look at the possibilities and then you see another possibility and you're like, oh, well, I thought I was going to spend this, but if I spend that, I can have that. Ooh, let me get that, right? We've all done it. And sometimes we say, nah, no, I don't need to spend that because they can't see the why. They can't see why is that more money? And that's the difference between price and value. So part of what we're talking about in the why is its value. Price is the number that you put on something, right? You as the business say that this, like this book costs $30. That's a price. Value is in the eyes of the customer. Is that worth that? Is the outcome that I'm going to get equal to or greater than that? And the difference between an expense and an investment is whether or not the outcome should be greater than what you paid. So when you uh, put gas in your car, you're getting gas and you're going to get miles out of that gas. That's it. You don't expect any more than that. You don't expect it to do anything else. That's what you're expecting. But you expect better results when you make an investment, right? So whether you're buying a stock or in the case of hiring you for a videographer, right? I expect that the result I get is equal to or greater than that. And there's where the intangibles come in because I'm going to get the video. That's the the equal to. The greater than is, whoa, that's more beautiful than I could have imagined. Well, my family just, you know, we didn't even have enough tissues because it was just so amazing, right? Delivering that why to them is that intangible. And that's where, again, price and value. Uh, so I'm also giving a presentation at, at um, Cater Source about price versus value. And I was doing a little research and it came up and it said there's absolute value. Absolute value is the this is what this thing absolutely is worth, right? The, these services, these goods is that. There's relative value, which is how does that compare to someone else? So your price versus somebody else's price. And then there's perceived value, which is in the eyes of the, the, the buyer in this particular case. So the absolute value is, well, you're going to give me an MP3 and you're going to give me a trailer and you're going to give me this and you're going to give me that right? Relative value is, well, you're charging this for that and they're charging that. Okay. Well, now let me compare those two values. And then the perceived value is, well, I want this particular outcome and you're charging this and they're charging that. And I perceive that even if you're the same price, that the value that you're giving me in their experience, the way that you're talking to me, the way you're responding to me, the way that your materials look, the way your website looks, all these things, I value what you're doing higher. Right. So I'll go with you because I, even even if the prices are different, I perceive that your value is better than the other company. And if they don't perceive a higher value, the cheaper price has got to win. It wins with you. It wins with me. Right. So if you're driving a brand new car, drive it off the showroom lot. You get to an intersection. There's four gas stations. There's three no name gas stations and one brand name gas station. And the brand name gas station is 10 cents a gallon higher. You got a brand new car, just pulled off the lights. Look at the temporary plate on it. Where are you going to get gas? Brand name, right? Yep. <laughs> right? And your, your logical mind says, that same truck probably delivers gas to all four of these stations, <laughs> right? You might even see the truck delivering to all four of these stations. And you're like, I'm taking my new car over there, right? That's a perceived value. That's not an intrinsic value. That, that's a perceived value. Because you're like, Relative value, no, it's more. It's more. Why would I spend more money? Well, it's my new car, right? And you're driving, an old, driving a rental car. Now, where do you go? Cheapest gas. 
right? Okay. Well, that that makes sense because we just um, we just got a car, a used car, but um, when we the first time we had to gas it up, we took it to we took it straight to the brand one. And we we right. went to Palm Springs, and there were like different like off brand, not off brand, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> different yeah. gas stations. But we we took it there because we felt like it deserved. <clears throat> Some right, <laughs> my 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 wife puts ninety three octane in at Sunoco, even though they have ninety one, and her car says it needs at least ninety one. And I said you can put ninety one, and she goes, "Yeah, I know, but I'm putting ninety three in." Now it's not doing anything for her car; it's not going to get her any more performance. But perception wise, I want the better. She's going to you know pay that extra three cents nickel or whatever it is a gallon, right? No matter how many times I tell her. It's not going to make any difference. No, she's she's going to put that in. Right, but, but that's the thing. Like it's all about the value that you 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 right. know. That's it's also the that particular decision, right? So every and when you talk about a wedding, there's a price point that people are at, and there's usually, and I'm sure you see this all the time, some things that seem out of line higher and out of line lower, right? Like a, a couple comes to you hiring you for the wedding. And they buy, you know, a relatively basic package. And then you show up and a bride's wearing a Vera Wang dress. And you're like, really? $7,000 for the dress. Really? Okay. Right. 3000 for me, 7000 for the dress. I, I don't get it. Right. Or the opposite. Right. They're spending eight, ten thousand $10,000 with you. And they went to David's bridal and bought a dress. That's priorities. The priorities go along with the value. Right? Another great book called The Paradox of Choice, Barry Schwartz. He talks about maximizing or satisfying decisions. Are we trying to maximize this decision because we only want the absolute best or is that's good enough? Okay. So I just recently bought myself a DSLR camera. I bought a used one because I'm not a professional. I'm not trying to be a professional. I'm not trying to take your job. <clears throat> I needed certain minimum things. I needed a DSLR that had a screen that would turn around and face forward. So when I make promo videos, I can see the screen. Okay. Cause I'm shooting them myself. All right. I'm, I'm dangerous. I know a, a, enough about um, photography that I can be dangerous. I also knew that I wanted a, a lens that had a, a lower F stop because I wanted to get a better bokeh. I wanted to get that real good depth of field feel on there. And the DSLR that I had, which had a built-in lens was like a F 3.5 or something like that. So by the time you got, you know, to the right focal length, you were, everything was in focus still. And I'm like, that's not the look that I want. The look that I want is that good depth of field. And let's face it, they've spoiled us with portrait mode on our iPhones, but there's no portrait mode on video. So I said, all right, how do I get that look? So I go online, I'm looking and I, I get this uh, a Canon T5i because it had the flip around screen. It had an external input for a microphone, right? So these are my minimum requirements. But I didn't have to go to a, you know, a, a 5D Mark IV or something like that because it wasn't necessary for me, right? I'm free. But I also couldn't go with other ones that didn't have the flip around screen because that was a non-starter. If it didn't have that non-starter, if it didn't have the external mic jack, non-starter, right? Bought myself a nice tripod. I have my, it came with a zoom lens, but that was no good for me because again, F3.5 to 4. Point something, that wasn't any good. It came with a 50 millimeter prime lens that was a 1.8. That's great. 
except I have to be so far away because it's not a full frame camera. I have to be so far away. Now I'm having trouble seeing that little screen, right? <laughs> so I go online and I said, all right, I need a, I need a lens, but I'm not you, right? I, I don't need a Canon L lens F1.2 35 millimeter. So I went and I bought at B&H, I bought for a hundred bucks, a 35 millimeter F2 lens, right? Gives me great bokeh. I can be closer, right? That's what I needed. That was me satisficing, right? That's good enough. You buying it, you'd be like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not buying that, that lens. I'm buying the Canon lens and I'm getting the, you know, the F1.4, the F1.2, whatever it is. I'm going to spend that money because this is for my work and there you go. For me, yeah, I'm sitting over there on the tripod with a video light and a, and a lavalier mic on it. And, you know, for what I spent for that whole setup there, you, you couldn't even buy your lens for it, right? Because <laughs> you would need to maximize the decision. So your customer, you have to figure out, are they maximizing video or DJ or catering or whatever, or are they satisfying? It's like, we need to have this, right? We need to have flowers. I need to carry flowers because I'm, I'm getting married. I want to carry flowers. Right. Okay. That, 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 that's a what, right. There's a set. Yeah, whatever. And they have to be purple. Okay, cool. And then somebody else is like, well, no, right. They have to be orchids and they have to be orchids that are only grown locally. Cause I don't want them flown in. And right. That's now maximizing. When you get to that, why, when you find out those things that they need, they pay for the, the those things. Um, DJ friend of mine in uh, South Carolina, he gets a call one day <clears throat> Uh, yeah, we were told you do all the difficult weddings. <laughs> it's a really strange thing for somebody to say, right? So he's like, well, what do you need? And it was a particular African culture. It was a particular part of Africa and there's certain cultures for the wedding. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. We can do that. What was the difficult part? <laughs> and they said, well, every other DJ we spoke to said they couldn't do that. And they all told us to contact you because you do the difficult weddings. So they think it's difficult because they didn't want to put the work in, right? He put the work in and he learned it. And then when they asked him how much and he told them, and he's probably one of the highest priced DJs in the state, price wasn't an issue because that box on their checklist was a non-negotiable box. I have to check that just like my flip around screen on my camera was a non-negotiable box because another camera I mean, was cheaper, but didn't have that. I don't care. Now the camera's more expensive, didn't have, I don't care. What I care is I need that feature. And if I that box, I'm not, if that box wasn't checked, you're not on the list. You want to make sure that you're checking all their boxes and that you're left the one on the list because the box is, I need Paul to do that, right? And when they have that box, they have to pay your price. They can't hire anybody else. That's, that's. Yep. <laughs> okay. Profound, right? <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I wanted to ask you because uh, there's this one, one thing you said about um, kind of like reigniting the why, right? Because <clears throat> you, you, I remember in the talk you said uh, you, you may, you may have said something one thousand times, but to this new person, it's hearing it for the first time. Yeah, and I, you know that just keeping that consistency is really important. And I was wondering, what's your what's your last advice to people who are kind of like because you know, like me, I've been in the industry for ten years. Mm -hmm. We have like a set set script that we say 
that mm-hmm. kind of like drains us a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. What, what what's the, your final advice to people who okay are trying so to get over it? my shoulder, right over there, <laughs> on my wall, is this red button. So you know what Staples has that red button called Easy, the Easy button. <clears throat> so that is a button just like that, except on the top it says hit the reset button. And what you need to do is before every call, before every email, before every Skype, before every meeting in person, you need to hit the reset button. And you need to say to yourself, this customer doesn't know anything about me. I don't know anything about them. And if I bring the baggage from the last customer with me, I'm going to make assumptions that are going to be wrong. And if I think about times that people have done that to me, Right. And they've done it to you. They've done it to me. They've done it to everybody listening here. Some salesperson is assuming that you needed something, wanted something or whatever, and they just weren't listening. If I hit that reset button, here we go and hit the reset button. If I hit the reset button, I'm going to be open to hearing and listening. The cold key is I hear the words, but am I listening to the meaning? And I'm going to hear and, and find out what's important to you. So every time my phone rings, every time I get an email and I just get a, Hey, Alan, how much is it for you to, you know, to, to come in and, and, and do whatever, do, do sales training, do a website review or whatever. <clears throat> I go back to, let me find out why they reached out. I'll ask people that question when I'm having a conversation. So what, what prompted you to reach out to me today? You know, not yesterday, not last week, whatever. Why today? Uh, or I'll say to them, you know, why me? right? Of all the people you could have reached out to, what had you reaching out to me? And some people, it was a Google search. Some people, I was referred by a friend. Some people like you have seen me at Wedding MBA. Some people have read my books. I had a guy in Romania, read one of my books on Kindle, contacted me to do a consultation and then flew over to Dublin, Ireland to see me speak there because he found my book on Amazon, right? I mean, crazy. But what? why me? What was it that prompted me? So when you hit that button, it allows you to say, all right, I have a clean piece of paper in front of me. I have a clean slate because I need to find out your why. I need to find out what's important to you. I need to find out, you know, at your wedding, when you watch your video, you know, what, what are you looking for in there? What particular visual, if you close your eyes right now and could see your video and you played it for me, what are the must have moments, right? And they'll tell you the ceremony and stuff like that. And I said, who's there? Who's that, who's going to be there? And you, you want to be able to look back and see so-and-so. Oh, it's Uncle Uncle Charlie. So why Uncle Charlie? What is it about him? Well, when I was a kid, he whatever. Or Uncle Charlie has cancer. Or, right? All these things. And let me get to that why. Let me get to that moment, right? Is there anybody that won't be able to make it to the wedding that's important to you? Oh, my grandmother's in the home. Well, what if we went to the home and we talked to grandma at the home? You know, would that be all right? You could do that, right? Now you're getting to the why. We're, we're selling the heart. I know you can't see that. There you go. We're selling the heart, not the head. But when I hit that reset button, I find out this person's why. I find out what they're looking for. I found out the outcomes that they want to have. And how do you, you can't hit a target you can't see. So if I think your target's here and I'm, I'm shooting at somebody else's target, I'm going to miss. That man, that's the that's the best way to end this interview because I feel like we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna go on and on and on and all. It's these... funny. My wife, my wife asked me. She said, "How long are you gonna be on?" I said, "I don't know." <laughs> 
don't know. I, I did one the other day. I did an Instagram live. She said, how long are you going to be? I said, I don't know, about half hour, two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very dangerous, especially talking about these things. And, you know, the, the reason why I've always wanted you to be a guest on this show is because you you make sales so sexy. And, you know, this is like a very th – these topics that we talk about <laughs> – these topics that we talk about, they don't really attract everyone, right? right? So this, I, I'm sure all the listeners and the viewers, they're going to want to hear more and see more. So would it, uh, I would love it if you tell them where to reach you and how. Uh, well, I appreciate the opportunity. So I have a website, very simple. It's allenberg.com, A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G.com. Um, if you're looking for any of my books, there's a shop button right at the top. You can get them there on paperback. Um, Todos mis libros disponible en español. So all the books are available in Spanish. Uh, if you prefer Kindle, go to Amazon. Uh, if you prefer Audible, they're also there or at allenberg.guru, G-U-R-U, will take you right to my Amazon page. It's my author's page, has all my books there. So all of them over there. And uh, again, I do sales training. I do website reviews. Um, and if you're not sure, Here's the phrase I showed uh, showed Paul earlier. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So that's actually my sales training brand there. Uh, your personal sales trainer. Oh, and by the way, practicing what I preach, the back of it has three testimonials, four testimonials. How do you sell the why? You sell the why with the testimonials. So oh, yeah. yeah, I'd love to speak to anybody. Reach out to me. Uh, I actually answer my own phone and emails. <laughs> People are always surprised. Uh, my phone will ring. I'll answer the phone. I'll go, Alan Berg. They'll go, is this Alan? <laughs> yeah. Were you looking for Alan? Yeah. Well, you got me, right? <clears throat> so yes, please, please reach out. I'd love to speak to you. Yeah, that's perfect. It, uh, it sucks because when I reached out to you, you were just in our area doing uh right you're doing uh, i was in manhattan beach yeah, yeah we were yeah. doing a we call a mastermind day which is you gotta get some friends together and we do a group training so uh so you get a group together i'll come back that's all that, that's perfect because i'm actually going to open uh the bossness studio which is my podcast and we're we're we invited over a few instructors that we're putting people together and mm -hmm. i would love it if you could come over and we could have like a group of people yeah. I master, last quick thing. Mastermind day for me started, you get your best ideas from your customers. I said, if you're listening, I had a customer in Florida wanted me to come for sales training. I gave her a price. She came back and she said, you know, I don't think I can swing it on my own. Can I invite some friends to join us? And it ended up being five or six of us. I was like, what a great idea. What a great way to share the cost and the experience because we collaborated then. It wasn't just me talking. It was this collaboration. It was great. And now- it's a huge part of my business. I do private training and I do group training like that. I'm doing one in um, uh, Birmingham, UK next month for 10 DJs. Uh, I'm going to be doing one in Paris, actually, before the Bride Lux conference this year. I'm doing one in Sydney, Australia. I did one last year in Sydney. We sold out. So, you know, this is a big part of my business is these group trainings. So I charge the same for one person, one business, or for five or eight or 10. So, you know, let's get the group together and do it. That's and, uh, beautiful. You just and got I love me, SoCal. You just got me really excited. <laughs> All right. Okay. Remember, if you don't ask. <laughs> Answers always no. Exactly. That's right. So thank That's you right. so much, Alan. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. This is just 
a, an amazing opportunity that you gave me and I'm, I'm blown away. I'm really, really thankful. Well, well, thank you. I always, I think this started because I put out a post on Facebook and it said, you, how do I get you to come on my podcast? Me ask, right? <laughs> and that's how we got connected. That's so, exactly uh, what it was. <laughs> so, and then it goes, goes along with that, right? If you don't ask the answers, yes, always so please let's do this again. All right. All the best to you. Thank you so much. Thank you too. If you want to know more, you can join the discussion or watch the videos of the interviews. They're all in the Wedding Bossness Community Facebook group. You can find the link about the speaker and also the link to the Facebook group. Feel free to join the conversation because since this event is unprecedented, the best way to find a solution is to ask. I'll put all of the info in the notes below. Feel free to reach out and talk to other like-minded bossness people. Or just let off some steam. Till then, play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good-looking. Boss man out. Boss man out.